Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Uh, Happy Easter, church family. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday, the Sunday that Jesus rode on a colt, a donkey, a young donkey that had never been ridden into the city of Jerusalem. People are waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna. They're laying their coats in the street to welcome the king into the city. Wednesday was the day that the costly perfume was broken and poured on the feet of Jesus. And the fragrance filled the room and Jesus said, this is my anointing for burial. Thursday was the day that Jesus observed Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. The last meal he would have before his arrest. And he said, this blood is, this, this juice is, is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. And Jesus instituted the Lord's table and then Judas ran off to portray Jesus. Jesus spoke to the disciples as he crossed the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be arrested and betrayed. And he spoke to them about how he would be returning to the Father, but take heart because he would be coming again. He would leave his spirit with them and in them so that they would forever be in his presence, so that we would forever be in his presence. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss and Jesus is arrested and he's led through that trial which is false and forced. It only proves his innocence, but the religious leaders bribe the people to cry out for Barabbas and cry out for Jesus to be crucified. And that's what they agree to. Jesus is mocked and whipped and beaten, his beard pulled, spat upon. He's forced to carry his cross up the hill called Calvary to the place of the skull, Golgotha. And there they nail his hands and feet to the cross and they raise him up between two criminals. And Jesus breathes his last. And then a man named Joseph of Arimathea allows the followers of Jesus to place Jesus' dead body in his tomb in the garden. Saturday is silent, and Jesus' followers are gathered all together with the doors barred shut for fear of the religious leaders. And then early Sunday morning, as the women are heading to the tomb and the sun is rising, there's this earthquake, and the earth trembles, And the soldiers that were placed at either side of the tomb and the stone that was rolled rolls away and the soldiers fall as if they're dead, they're stunned. And when the women arrive at the tomb, it's empty. And there's an angel there. And the angel says, why do you seek the living among the dead? And the women run to tell his disciples and then John and Peter run to the tomb. John gets there first and he stays outside and he looks down in, but Peter runs right in. And there's nothing there, just the grave clothes and the cloth that was over Jesus' face folded and set to the side. Jesus appears to Mary in the garden. She thinks he's the gardener until he calls her by name. Then Jesus appears to two disciples as they're traveling from the city of Jerusalem on the road. And then Jesus appears to his own disciples in the room where they are, he enters And then another instance later on where Thomas is there and Thomas puts his hand 
in Jesus' side where the spear was. And he feels the nail prints in Jesus' hand. That's the Easter story. That's what we gather every year at this time to celebrate. That's why we gather every Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday morning. And that's why we gather to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. You've heard the story. We've told the story. If you've been here in previous Easter's, if you've been here on Sundays, we talk about this story a lot. And we get creative with it. We, we've told this story from the beach down in Little Dyke and from the mountain into Burt. And a few years back, I dressed up as Joe the gardener with a big crazy handlebar mustache. And I walked the wheelbarrow up here holding my rake and pretended to be the gardener who watched all these things take place in the garden. We've told the story. What I want to do today is talk about why it's important. Maybe you've come here Easter after Easter. Maybe you've been in church Easter after Easter and you hear this same story and you wonder, what does this mean for me tomorrow? What does it change? Why is it important? Why do these people keep talking about it so much? So John chapter 21, if you have your copy of the Bible today, it's also going to be up on the screen John chapter 21. What does Easter change about how we do life? Why is the story of Easter important for humanity? John chapter 21. Let me read the first 14 verses. This is a a beautiful story, an ironic story, a funny story, a challenging story. John 21 and verse 1. After this, everything I just told you, the fact that Jesus has already appeared to the disciples two times, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee, which we see over and over in the Gospels. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were together. How many disciples is that? Seven. There's only 11 disciples at this point. This is over half of the disciples. This is the majority of the disciples. And Simon Peter says to them in verse 3, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, hey, we'll go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Does fishing ever go that way for you? Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, who's recording this gospel for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He says to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish like normal fishermen staying in the boat, bringing it to shore, not Peter. For they were not far from land. They're about a hundred yards off. And when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. 
Did Peter pull that net all by himself? It just says Peter. Peter climbed back on the boat, grabbed the net, pulled it ashore. That's one strong dude if he didn't have any help. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know what they say, third time's the charm, right? Or is it three strikes you're out in this case? Or maybe in today's culture we'll say, you have one strike against you, we're going to cancel you, we're done with you, you can get out of here. The third time Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. Why didn't they get it the first time? Why didn't they get it when the resurrected, risen Lord walked into the room and ate the food that they were eating in that room and showed himself to be alive? Why didn't they get it the second time? When Jesus showed Thomas the place in his side and the nail prints in his hands, why didn't they get it then? Why are they just getting it now the third time? Couldn't couldn't we ask ourselves the same question? How many times do we hear this news? That's not new news, it's 2,000 years old. That Jesus, an innocent man, come from God, who is God, lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross. An innocent death for you and for me. Rose again from the grave on the third day. How do we hear that story Easter after Easter, and not see it. How many Easter Sundays have we listened to the music and the sermon, but then Monday it's back to work, let's go fishing. Fishing season's here, by the way. Did you know that? Uh, we, we have a men and boys camp out fishing weekend, June 9th and 10th, if you want to write that down. Fathers, sons, men of all ages, uh, it's going to be a good time. But fishing season is here. My dad went out fishing the other day in the kayak, caught nothing, which is my experience with fishing. Except for when we lived in Ontario. We lived up um, the Huron Peninsula, Lake Huron. They used to pull some massive rainbow trout out of Lake Huron. I was a kid back then, but I remember them being huge. And the salmon run that would come up the river in Owen Sound, Ontario, there were so many fish. I'm pretty sure you could stand in the middle of the river with a net, fill the back of a pickup truck in about 30 minutes. There's like the kind of fish where you could walk across the river and not get wet, just hop on the backs of the fish. I remember my sister and I were sitting on a rock out in the river behind our house to get a picture with all these salmon coming up. And as dad was getting the picture, a salmon jumped up and whacked me right in the shoulder. Like, this is how many fish we're talking about. But my normal experience with fishing is to catch nothing. Wake up super early, go with dad and his friends just to sit on the dock in the dark, in the cold. We only did that one time. I I only agreed to do it one time because we got nothing, no bites. That's kind of been my experience with fishing. Has that been your experience with fishing? You just cast the line in. No, Uh, people know tricks that I don't know, apparently. You just cast the line in, reel it, nothing that time. So you do it again, you cast the line, reel it in, nothing. 
the grandkids, some of my nephews got fishing rods for Easter. So we were out in the pond with family yesterday and dad was showing them how to cast and how to reel it in. And I assured them, here's some realism for you guys. You're not going to catch a thing. Just get used to it. I never caught anything. I figured they should face reality before it's too late. Just, just like the disciples that night. Maybe you should have just stayed in bed and let, let dad go fishing with the buddies without you. But isn't it ironic that those seven disciples, I'm not sure where the other four were, but we have seven disciples here, many of them expert, trained, professional fishermen, head back to the same lake they used to fish on before they met Jesus. Maybe the same boat, maybe the same nets, maybe the same beach, maybe the same fish. They fish all night. They throw that net out. They pull it in. Maybe this time, nothing. They throw that net out. They pull it in. Maybe this time, nothing. And Jesus shows up. Try the right side. And they catch more fish than they've ever caught before. Jesus accomplishes, in one word from the beach, what seven men couldn't accomplish, seven professionally trained fishermen couldn't accomplish in a full night of work, Jesus comes up and says, try the right side. Do we ever try in our own strength, grasping in the dark, over and over again, maybe this time, maybe this time? What were those disciples trying to prove? Were they thinking that if we get a big catch of fish, then maybe this will affirm, maybe this will prove that this is what we're supposed to be doing all along. Maybe this, maybe this will quench the longing in our souls, the fact that Jesus, those days are behind us. Do you think when they went to the beach, they bumped into some of their old fishing buddies and they said, oh, hey, we knew you'd be back. The Jesus thing didn't work out, did it? Well, you've always got fishing, Right? I wonder if they thought while they were on the boat that night, out in the dark, fishing, maybe they looked up at the bow of the boat and they thought, I remember Jesus sleeping there in that storm. Do you remember that? The waves were crashing over, we were bailing buckets, we're trying to wrangle the sail in, we think we're going to drown, and he's just sleeping there. Do you remember that? And we woke him up, and with one word, the wind and the waves ceased, and the sun came out, and we just felt so foolish for being afraid with Jesus in the boat. Peter, do you remember that time we were in that storm, another storm, and Jesus came walking on the water, and we thought it was a ghost. And Peter, you were crazy enough, bold enough, brave enough to jump out at Jesus' command and walk on the water. Do you remember that? Do you remember all the trips we made across this lake, in this boat, with Jesus, all the crowds trying to find some place of desolation where we could just rest a while and the demoniac of the Gadarenes and the feeding of the 5,000, you can almost see the hill where it took place. Do you remember all these stories? And they just keep throwing the net out, pulling it back, nothing. Throw the net out, pull it back, nothing. All night long. Maybe this time it'll be different. We go back to the same old thing. Maybe this time I'll find what I'm looking for in that net and we throw it out again and we pull it in. Maybe the next time we try it again and we pull it in. Over and over. Mystery box, yeah. It's also like the definition of insanity, isn't it? Doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. 
I'm going to go to the Easter Sunday service this year because that's what we've always done. But it's not going to mean anything different for tomorrow. It's just going to be the same old thing. What's the change? What does it mean? Going back to fishing, trying to satisfy what fishing could never satisfy. Getting a taste of new life, but then clinging to the old. The same old thing, expecting different results. It's like this cycle that we get stuck in, isn't it? I'm confused as to what's going on, so let's just go fishing. Let's just go to the lake this weekend. We'll blow off our commitments. We'll get out on the boat. We'll have a drink, and life will just pass us by. And next weekend, we'll just have to do the same thing because there will be more troubles next week. And we'll just keep doing that same thing over and over and over, trying to find satisfaction in life, trying to find that affirmation, that confirmation that maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. All the while, we know that our calling isn't on that lake. It's not with that boat. It's not with those nets. There's a bigger purpose for our lives. Disciples fished the whole night and caught nothing. Absolutely nothing. After a whole night of nothing, no fish, nothing to show for their effort, nothing produced in their own strength, morning breaks, a little bit of light, a little bit of clarity in life, they can finally see the horizon, see into the distance, and there's Jesus on the shore. And in one instruction, he accomplishes more than seven men could do in a whole night's work. Peter throws himself into the sea. He leaves the boat, leaves the fishermen, leaves the fish, leaves the net. That's what Peter did the first time he met Jesus. He left the nets, left the family business, left his father standing, and went with Jesus. He left it all behind. Jesus says, bring some fish. But Jesus already has fish, doesn't he? doesn't really need their fish. How long do you think Jesus had been cooking that fire and those fish and that bread? Just watching the disciples out there trying to accomplish something in their own strength. Breakfast. Breakfast is the best, isn't it? Breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. How many people were here for brunch? Wasn't brunch good? There was a lot of good food up there. If you weren't here, you should plan on being here next year for Easter brunch. It, it's a great time. I love breakfast. I don't love pets. But we compromised and got chickens in the backyard because we have this working relationship. They give me an ag a day and I give them room and board. I'll feed them, give them water. So they help support my love for breakfast. So we'll take care of the chickens in the backyard. But I love breakfast. Like bacon, ham, sausage, eggs. Should I go on? Cinnamon rolls, sticky buns, Wayne Linkletter's homemade bread, toasted, peanut butter, pancakes, waffles, crepes, homemade maple syrup. It's maple syrup season, did you know that? Isn't breakfast good? Breakfast is my favorite meal of the day, and breakfast is important, isn't it? Because by definition, breakfast is breaking the fast. I don't know if you wake up at midnight to get a snack from the fridge, but most people, you know, we, we don't have food through the course of the night, some eight hours, maybe up to 15 hours if you don't snack after supper like I snack after supper. But that's a long time to go without food. And when you wake up, your body's hungry. Your body is craving some nourishment. And that breakfast is so important to set you up for the day. If I don't get breakfast, I'm off for the day. I get hangry. Anybody get hangry? Breakfast is an important meal of the day, breaking 
the fast. And breakfast is repetitious, isn't it? I've told you before that I eat the same egg on toast every single morning because I'm that kind of exciting guy. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. You wake up the next morning, you need more breakfast. Repetitious, over and over. After a long night of nothing, you need some refreshment in the morning. Day after day, it's this repetitive thing. It's important. Listen, there's a reason why I'm talking about breakfast. Now, I want to clarify this. This is the third time these disciples have seen the risen Jesus. Why did Peter suggest they go fishing? Maybe after three years of following Jesus everywhere he went, listening to his teaching, why go back to the old life? Why go back to the old way of making a living? Why did Jesus have to reveal himself another way, another time to the same group of people? I couldn't really find a good answer. But I think the answer really boils down to the fact that we're human. That we're constantly in need of grace and mercy. Day after day, praise God, his mercies are new because every morning when I wake up, I need more of them. Do you? It's really easy to look at this passage and point at those disciples. You foolish disciples. I mean, come on. What's it been? A couple weeks? A matter of days? You saw Jesus die. You saw him raise again. You sat in the room with him. You sat in the room with him again. And now he's on the beach. And now you have 153 fish. Can't you see it? But they're human like you and me. Don't we need daily reminders of the goodness of God? Don't we need Easter every single year? Don't we need Resurrection Sunday every single week? Don't we need the sun to rise every morning to remind us that Jesus rose from the dead and it changes everything about the way we do life and what life actually is, the source of life? I need that reminder every single day because I'm human. You're human. We need constant grace. We need repetitive mercy. We need forgiveness over and over and over. We're not working our way to fulfillment. Jesus is our portion forever. Even though Jesus showed me when I was eight years old that it was my sin that he carried the cross and died my death on my cross, I've had to be reminded so many times over the last 25 years that I'm not accomplishing this in my own strength, that heaven isn't mine because I've earned it based on my own merit. And those times where I do get a little bit of pride in my heart and I think, Josh, you're doing a great job here. God's a good enough father to discipline his son and show me my desperate need of him. And the fact that if Jesus were still in that tomb, I would have nothing to stand on today. I need that over and over and over. You see, I'm so prone to get back in that same old boat, throw that same old net, over and over and over, seeing that it's empty, but trying to find what I've already found in Jesus. I need his call from the beach every single day because I so quickly go astray. I need Easter. I need Sunday. I need the light of his love every single morning because I so quickly lose my way in the dark and I go back to the old life, the old way of living. Let's look at verses 15 to 19, and then I want to close. John chapter 21, give you a few thoughts before we finish this morning. Verse 15. 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, does your mama have a name she calls you when you're in trouble? My, my middle name is Kenneth after my dad, but my mom always called me Joshua James when I was in trouble. If she called me Joshua James, I knew I was in trouble. I don't know where James came from, but I don't like hearing it. Still sends shivers down my spine. Bad relative. Bad relative, yeah. I don't know that I have any relatives named John. I wonder if Peter's thinking, oh no, here it comes. Jesus is calling me out. Simon, son of John. He's using my old name, Simon. Do you love me more than these? I wonder if he's pointing at the fish. And he says to him, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. He says to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, oh no, he's coming back. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, are you getting there yet? You will stretch out your hands. Does your body not stretch the way it used to stretch? Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter needed the same miracle on the same lake with probably the same boat, maybe the same beach, maybe the same nets, maybe the same fish to show him who Jesus was. Peter needed the same invitation. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Feed my sheep. Peter, until you, the day you die, and it's coming, each one of us only has so much life. Jesus says, with the life that you have left, all of your future from this moment forward on this earth, you follow me. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than your old life, your old way of living? Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. First to the servant girl, then to the soldiers gathered around the fire, and then the relative of Malchus, the soldier who he cut the ear off, he said, it wasn't me in the garden. And three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Three strikes, you're out, right? Three days in the tomb and he's gone no more. Isn't that the way it works? How much grace does God have for you and for me? What's his measure of forgiveness? Is it three strikes, you're out, or is it 70 times seven? Peter leaves the fishing behind again. Let me just give you a little snapshot of what happens. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter stands up in the power of the Holy Spirit and proclaims that Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior of the world. This same Jesus who the religious leaders crucified rose again from the grave three days later. And that day, those people who heard were cut to the heart. 
And 3,000 people responded in faith to the message of the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died and rose again. By the power of the Spirit, Peter heals a man who can't walk. Peter and John are thrown into the prison because of the religious leaders. And they're told, don't speak in the name of Jesus again. They said, that's our life's purpose. We can't help but speak of Jesus. Peter gets to lead the first Gentiles to Jesus at Cornelius' house. Peter's arrested again. An angel of the Lord leads him out of the jail cell free. Just like that last song we sang. Then Peter compromises on his values when he's with the Jews and then when he's with the Gentiles. He does a bit of pretending, a bit of hypocrisy. And Paul has to call him out. You see, Peter's story is this up and down, moments of of God working miraculously through him by the power of the Spirit, and then moments of shame and doubt and compromise. Peter's story is much like your story and my story. Times of triumph, times of struggle, times of seeing God work, and then times of trying to do it in our own strength, sending that net out over and over again just to see it come back empty. But even though Peter denied Jesus, he's able to write, in his final epistles in the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. Isn't that beautiful, knowing the fact that Peter denied Jesus three times? Even though Peter deserted Jesus in fear, he's able to write, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He's not going to desert you. Peter always remembered the gracious, slow, patient, mercy that Jesus showed him time and time again in his failings. At the end of Peter's second letter, he says, count the patience of Jesus as your salvation. Praise God that he's so patient with us over and over and over again. Jesus is calling us back to his lordship. He's calling us to follow him, his leading, his calling on our lives. I want to close the service in a word of prayer now. And this is Easter Sunday, so we should close in a special way. Would you stand with me as we close? I know that God works in people's hearts. God works in mysterious ways. And I want you to know that we're not gathered here today because we have life figured out. The message of Peter is a message of needing grace over and over and over in our failings and our shortcomings, knowing that we can never measure up to the perfect standard of God's perfection. The reason we're gathered here today is because we know we've messed up. We know we've made wrong choices. We know we go back to those old ways of living that don't satisfy the longings in our soul. The reason we're here today is we know that even in our failings, because of our failings, God has been so rich in grace and mercy and providing his son because of his love for humanity, he provided his son to take all of our wrongdoings, all of our sin, all of our guilt and our shame and nailing it to the cross. Then when he rose again three days later out of the tomb, it's to give us new life, spirit-empowered, abundant, joy-filled life. If you're not there today, if you're not living in that reality today by faith, if you haven't experienced the forgiveness of the Father in the face of the Son, 
Maybe you're realizing today that it's your sin that Jesus took to the cross. Maybe you're realizing that all the old ways of living that you constantly go back to, just like I constantly feel drawn to, that that turns up dry every single time, maybe you're realizing that this is where the cycle ends. This is where I have to leave that old life and embrace my new life in Christ. And I would encourage you, if you're feeling that this morning, the Holy Spirit is laying that on your heart, then it's time to make a decision. The Bible says that all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died in your place and rose again from the dead, through faith, you can have forgiveness and new life today. Would you join me as we pray? I want to lead you in a prayer. And if this is your decision between your heart and God's heart, you can repeat these words with me, okay? God, I know that I'm a sinner. Jesus, thank you for taking my sin to the cross. God, because of Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Jesus, thank you that you rose again from the dead. I claim your new life now. Jesus, thank you for new life. Now I give you mine. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to do one more thing. There are going to be people up front here at the end of the service who want to pray with you and talk with you. We're going to have pastors out in the lobby to greet people as they go. Maybe somebody invited you this morning and and you're sitting in the same row with them. I want you to talk to somebody about the decision that you've just made. God, we thank you for decisions of faith today. We thank you that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living and active and moving among us, dwelling within us through faith in Christ. And it's the same life-giving power today as the day that it rose Jesus Christ from the grave. We thank you so much for your spirit today. God, we thank you for your love. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice in our place for your new life. May this Easter weekend be a new beginning in so many lives and hearts. In this church, in this community, around our nation and our world, Father, may the good news of Jesus and the life that he offers, the only way, the only truth, the only life, may it be abundantly clear for so many today. Would the light of your gospel light up the world around us? May we see you calling to us on the shore. Would we open the door to your knocking? Would we enjoy a relationship with you, a deep friendship, you as our Savior and the Lord of our lives? God, thank you that you want to adopt us as your children. Give us a place to belong. We thank you for your love today, this Easter Sunday, Father. 
As we go, would you help us to go under the banner of your love, carrying your cross, and the message of your good news to the world around us, Father. May you present us with opportunities today, tomorrow, the days to come. God, would you make people hungry for the answer to what Easter is all about? Whatever they're looking for in the nets that they keep casting out, God, would you show them satisfaction in yourself, your goodness, your mercy. Help them to taste it and see it. God, we love you today. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.